the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 100 for April 16th, 2007. Folks and welcome to uh, yeah, like Michael said, show number one hundred. How are you, John? Yay. Yeah. I was expecting a bit more fanfare. Were you? Yeah, you know, marching band. Yeah, or something. Well, they were busy. I mean, they're always there every morning when you walk out to your car, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, here we are, show number one hundred. As promised, John and I, uh, we weren't going to do anything special. We weren't thinking about doing anything special. But then we started getting comments from all of you folks asking us, "What are we going to do?" And one of you was wise enough to actually suggest something that really kind of struck a chord. And and that is, as we've discussed, John and I have gone through and and created the uh, the lists of all the computers that we've had and. And the the interesting thing is that John and I have known each other for over 20 years now. And so a lot of this we've kind of been through together. So uh, so it, it it makes perfect sense to, to do this for the for the 100th show. So that's what we're going to do. There's no well, there might be some normal content, but uh, no guarantees. And uh, we do have some giveaways. I, I um, originally we were going to do uh, we've got four four things to give away. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, originally, we were going to do one for the intro, one for the uh, the outro, and then one each for uh, two of your uh, lists that John and I kind of went through and picked uh, out of the out of the group. I, I screwed it up. I everybody that I talked to seemed to think that the intro I was looking for was a, a remake of the song. No, really, it was what I just had Michael John. That was Mr. Michael Johnston. The uh, the wonderful gentleman who goes through and turns this into an AAC show every week and enhances this podcast. So he did the intro for us. So uh, he's he being being part of the uh, the team here. He's not really eligible for a prize. So there will actually be a, another opportunity for for the second prize all the way through. And we might as well just talk about what those prizes are. The prizes come from one of our sponsors for this show, uh, and that is from Smile on My Mac. This show we're, we're talking about Text Expander, uh, and Text Expander is. It's this great little thing. It's a system preference pane, John, and it sits and runs in uh, it, all the time and monitors what you type. And what you do is you go in and you find things that you type a lot, like, uh, say, your phone number or a signature or uh, maybe even a graphic, right, a picture, and uh, anything that you use regularly. And you create a text snippet in Text Expander and make a small little bit of text to uh, to associate with that. So, for example, let's say I want to have my phone number and I want to have my office number. So I just type 06030, the, the, the character 0603, and that's the code to Text Expander that tells it, yep, go ahead and type in my whole phone number. And uh, or for my cell phone number, it's C603, and 603 is my area code. So that's, you know, as soon as I type that, bam, the whole thing goes. What's cool is it's actually somewhat intelligent. In fact, it's very intelligent. You can have it do HTML snippets or any any kind of programming snippets and have it place the cursor wherever you want. So if you type, uh, let, let's say we do, um, you know, uh, if you just type href, href, boom, you can have it automatically build an href for you and uh, an href tag in HTML and put the cursor in the middle so that it, uh, you know, you can type whatever URL you want to 
put in your href tag. So that's a that's text expander. They have all sorts of libraries available. There's one for HTML, and there's actually another one for all the auto corrections in uh, that that are normally found like in Microsoft Office. You can import this library into text expander, and uh, and You've got it in every app, email, everything. Twenty nine ninety five. Of course, you can get a free demo online. Smileonmymac.com. So they have given us two copies of Text Expander to give away tonight, and two copies of uh, of PDF Pen, and uh, so we will we will be handing those out as we as we go through the show here. How, how's that sound, John? Outstanding. Now, also, the show will explain to you a little bit of why Dave and I are the way that we are. We may be. <laughs> Letting a few skeletons out of the closet here. So. Yeah, or yeah, or maybe we'll open the door and and let the light shine in on the skeleton. I don't know that we're actually going to take the skeleton out of the closet, but uh, but the closet door, it, I think it's cracked open behind us here, John. So, all right, so let's let's get into this. And uh, John and I figured we would do this chronologically, uh, loosely chronologically, and mm. being you know that uh, which is great for me because uh, because since John's older, he gets to go first. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't help myself. Thank you. And actually, yeah, you know, a special day is coming up in about a week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, you get that day off. We're we're taking next Monday off. Nice. April twenty yeah. third. That's right. Today. So, anyways, you know, but I'm looking back on on you know you what you and I did in our early geek days. I I still remember, and I see you have a you know some fond memories from your past here. But I remember as a young kid wanting a calculator, a digital calculator, and when I got one, it was really cool. Of course, then, like most things I got, I took it apart to try to figure out how it worked, and Dad couldn't fix it. So <laughs> so just a, even early on, I, I needed yep. to figure out how things worked. Yep. But anyway, so the first thing that I saw that, that approached a, a real computer was back in middle school when um, – and I don't remember the exact model. It was a PDP something, I believe, and it had you know uh, orange and yellow switches on the front, lights, um, but it had teletypes connected to it. And the coolest thing was you could play games on it. You could type in something, and it would respond to you. And I think one of the first games was you know Adventure, which I think yep. almost everybody's played, especially you know like the Zork type of adventures. But then there were some other there were some characteristics about that machine that made it you know less than optimal. One was that it was only printing on a teletype. Number two is that you had to load programs from a paper tape. Okay. We were seeing a paper tape reader. <laughs> You're dating yourself, so we're not, John. I mean, we're not even talking disks here. Um, <laughs> one fun thing you could do is you could, if you figured out how to program the tape puncher, you could do little banners. But the bad news was if you walked across the room and you touched the, the main CPU, uh, if you hit it with static, it would forget basic, and you couldn't write any more programs. Oh, no. And it took 45 <laughs> minutes to load basic from paper tape. I still remember this, half an hour to 45 minutes. Wow. Then, you know, when I was in middle school was around the time where they introduced the Apple II. Okay. And this is where it just blew my mind because they're like, oh, check this computer out. And, Here, and, let's show it to you. And since people can, can easily look that up and you've chosen to date yourself, what what year was the Apple II released? Was that late 70s, um, right? 77? 77. Okay. Okay. And the most amazing thing was, versus the other machine where you could zap it with static and you had to load something from paper tape, this machine, you turned it on and it had basic. That was when right. I realized this was going to be the best toy ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I was exposed to one of the first Apple IIs. Uh, you know, we had a tape uh, cassette drive initially. There were some very early games. I think you remember like Lemonade Stand and all that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Some of I us figured out that. how to write things. And I think we were talking 40 by 40 
16 color maybe. So really blocky stuff. But hey, it was better than the alternative, which was printing on a teletype. Yeah. So that was my initial exposure. Okay. Was the um, was the Apple II. And what Uh, was what? uh, Yeah. Okay. So I guess from what I'm looking at from our our timeline, we do have little cheat sheets here because there's no way we could actually remember this stuff on the fly. Um, From what I'm looking at, I, I think I owned. My family owned a computer before you did. Is that is that yes. right, John? Okay, so, um, yeah. So I had a similar experience when I was in uh, in elementary school in fourth and fifth grade. The PET two thousand one computer was uh, was popular, and uh, I was the resident geek in in school. But I, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of knowledge. Just had a had a burning desire to learn, and somehow my dad. Uh, talked to the school administration and weaseled them into letting me take home this pet 2001 on the weekends. And I, it was maybe, you know, a couple of weekends a month that we were able to do this. And, uh, and I'd used it a little bit at school, but, uh, but having it at home and being able to really dive into it, I was able to, uh, actually wrote a, a wrote all kinds of programs. The, my, my first big foray into programming was, uh, I charted it all out and wrote, a program that I called Sands Hotel, and really all it did was was play craps. It didn't play all the other games. The, the idea was to expand it out, but it never really got there. But we really, really, I mean, I you know, I sat down with a friend, and we figured out, okay, here's the rules to craps, and here's how this works, and here's how the side bets are, and all this stuff. And, of course, it was text, but uh, but I had dice that, you know, I mean, you kind of, you know, see numbers scroll by as they rolled the dice, and and uh, so that that was that. Obviously, and then started using some Apple IIs uh, in in summer camps and and that sort of thing. Uh, but the first computer that we had at the house, we were at my I'll never forget. We were at my my dad's old college roommate's house one night, and he gave us uh, a Timex uh, Sinclair one thousand. And I think this was nineteen eighty two. It may have been early eighty three. But he we were playing with it at his house, and then when it was time to leave, he's like, "Here, take it with you." And he had had a TRS eighty and. And that sort of thing. Um, Otherwise known as a... Trash 80. Trash 80. That's Sorry. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it, and so, you know, he, he had these things, and he had bought one of these Timex Sinclairs kind of on a lark and uh, and enjoyed it, but, you know, it, he, he didn't need it, and so he, he actually gave it to us, which was killer. So we had that thing. Now, programming that thing was a real trick because the keyboard was not at all touch-typable. Uh, you had was that be, a membrane keyboard, or yeah. was, it, was that another yeah. one of the Timex? No, so no real keys. No yeah. real keys. It was membrane, but you had to push really hard. I mean, it was like hunt and peck, but you had to really peck. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but it had a flight simulator program. It had the 16k memory module that that stuck in the back, and you had to kind of make sure it stayed in there. Otherwise, if it fell out, things would like fall to pieces. But uh, but we'd load Flight Simulator. It took you know maybe twenty twenty five minutes to load from the cassette tape, from what I remember, and it was basically one frame a second on the screen that would you know maybe maybe one maybe maybe two frames a second, but certainly no more than that. And uh, but you could take the take off with the plane and land it and fly it, and we actually had a lot of fun with it. And uh, and so there you go, and and I'll let you take it from there, John. So so we're in like right. 82, 83, and, and heading into 84. So, And then 84, now prior to that, you know, 84 was when I escaped from uh, from high school. But before that, we had Apple IIs in the, uh, 
you know, so from middle to high school, the Apple II, of course, was the uh, the dominant machine. Okay. Probably the only machine, and and I was, you know, drawn to them and helped, uh, you know, helped out in classes and stuff. I remember towards the end of high school was when they started offering programming courses, and and okay. most of us who already had computers at home, we just kind of, you know, skipped them because. <laughs> We could teach them. Uh, and I remember right. there were some uh, hijinks going on in the lab, too, as far as, you know, some of the games back then. Naturally. Um, and finally, around 84, I purchased my first uh, Apple IIe. I okay. still remember one of the things, Wizardry. Yep. Because I was into D&D like most good geeks back then, and uh, Wizardry sure. was just a realization of that, and it was over a summer vacation where it was like you know, almost playing to the point of not being able to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> one more level, one more level. I mean, you know how it. I I it I lived it, yeah. But then shortly after that, and here is the uh, the peek into the, uh, the 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 look at the skeleton. Shortly after that, I heard about this thing called a uh, modem and bulletin boards, and like, hmm. And a friend of mine, um, uh, John, who we still talk to every now and then, um, guy I went to high school with, he's like, yeah, I know this guy can get you some software, and all you need is a phone line, and you can run this uh, bulletin board. Wow, that sounds like something that's fun. Yeah, communicate with other people uh, on the computer. Um, and the modem I got was called it. It was from Novation. I think you remember this called oh, yeah. Apple Cat. And this modem did things that no other modem could do, or should do, uh, or sh well should is <laughs> you know that's kind of making a value judgment. That's true. Yes, um, we, we 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 for what we're about to talk about, we reserve all judgment. That's right. <laughs> so anyways, um, we'll just cut to the, you know, the punchline there. So, so basically running a bulletin board, I, I got interested back then because, you know, we didn't have the Internet and you needed ways to try to communicate with other people who yeah. uh, had similar interests. And yeah. because we didn't have the Internet, and the only way to do it was telephones. Um, fortunately, the Apple Cat had some software available that would let it do special things like um, make calls that you normally cannot make. That's right. You could use it. Uh, I don't know if it, we should. Well, it effectively, stop it, there, but... it effectively would. You could. Uh, you could do all sorts of different colored boxes, including the the fabled blue box. Whether or not you did that is is you know, uh, I don't even remember. Well, if I did, I'd be in good company because I do believe Steve and Steve That's were right. involved in the same yeah. sort of shenanigans. That's um, right. The Steves of Apple. Yeah. So, anyways, um, full disclosure, it was the only time I got caught. <laughs> But I was under 18, and basically the, the, it was the phone cops, and they said, hey, you know, um, you got good technique, kid, but um, cut it out. Knock it out. That's right. <laughs> Stop making free calls. So, of course, now if we had, you know, because my only goal, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, to make free calls. It was to no. communicate. And, of yeah. course, now with the Internet, hey, and instant messaging. I mean, it's just amazing how the, the leaps and bounds where before <laughs> you and I were both locked into yeah. pretty much people in the local area unless you – Either had a lot of money for paying for long distance, or you 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 know you knew you knew other in methods. Questionable That's tactics. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, but yeah. some of the things I remember about the Apple that was cool. So the modem itself was cool. The the other uh, couple of tidbits here that I thought were, were cool were uh, getting the zip chip, and it bumped it up to eight megahertz from one megahertz. Right. We're talking oh, megahertz, that. folks. Yeah, right. That's right. So man, when you took a machine that was already had a sixty five hundred two or sixty five hundred two e, I forget. But it was a you know pretty slow. You could bump it up by eight times, um, yep. and then putting all those applied engineering cards in there because the machine didn't even have a clock. Oh, you so, didn't. Uh, That's right. Oh, no, the yeah. early, a lot of the early apples, I think, um, and going over to you now, I think. Yeah. But a lot of the early apples didn't have a clock. They didn't know what time it is, and if you're running a bulletin board or doing a lot of things, 
you knowing that, that is is, yeah. is important. So Applied Engineering, I remember, was one of the, the better companies that made yep. all these yep. cards that you could stuff into your Apple II. You know, so you had modem, parallel, serial, clock, um, music boards, I think, things like that. Yep. But then uh, around the same time, you had, I guess, one of your first. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, machines I, here. I had always assumed that you'd you'd had an Apple II uh, earlier than I did. But looking at our our histories here, probably you probably did, but only I by a matter them. of months. Well, sure, you used them. Yeah, I thought I just thought you had your your machine longer. But uh, but anyway, uh, in the summer of '84, after a grueling day of raking stones in our new uh, garage that was built being built. My dad turned to uh, to us as the family and said, okay, now it's time. We're going to go out and get an Apple IIc. And this blew us away because we had no idea that this was coming. And uh, so we did. We went out and got an Apple IIc. Now, had he involved me in the decision, I would have pushed toward the 2E because, as John said, it was very expandable, whereas the 2C was more of a closed system and it was new and nobody really knew what, you know, what was going to happen. But I was not going to uh, let that day end without us having a computer in the house. So an Apple IIc it was. We got the and not, it was portable. It, I would say one of the first the trans transportable. Yes, yeah. It had a handle on it. I mean, it didn't have a monitor. It, we bought it with a uh, with a with the nine inch green screen that was sort of it was this metal stand that was kind of shaped like a U on its side. And uh, and one part went underneath the computer, and then the other part went, uh, you know, hooked onto the monitor. So the computer sort of tucked into the monitor. It was very ergonomic and very cool. It was the you know nine inch monochrome green screen, but it came with an RF modulator. So it, it, I don't think it was right away, but certainly within a couple of months, we were able to hook it up to our our color television. Now I had disks and disks of software at this point, as I'm sure you did when you got your computer, John, from friends and you know where you'd been. So instantly was able to start. Uh, you know, start using it, and uh, and then I think it was it was probably it wasn't right away. It might have been six or eight months later that I really wanted to get a modem. And we had a friend of the family who uh, was running a bulletin board, um, and uh, and so you know I knew what he was doing. He was into the IBM side of things, but uh, but he was a good guy anyway, and uh, and and he was the one that legitimized this whole idea of connecting it to the phone line because otherwise I think my parents might have uh, and my dad you know he's an electrical engineer so he was sort of into it but you know sort of not um, so we got we, we kept buying these modems these Hayes compatible modems and hooking them up with a serial cable because you couldn't buy an Apple cat for the 2c there was no slot to put it in and uh, and we were having all these problems. We couldn't get it to work. The lights would go weird. And then finally, I remember the guy's name was Mike Schlegel. We were, we were at, I can't remember the name of the computer store. It might have been a, an egghead. It was down in Norwalk. But uh, I don't know, some computer repair shop. And we had him check the 2C. And he's like, oh, well, there's a new logic board upgrade. But really, your problem is that you need this Popcom modem. So I got this Popcom 1200 baud modem. And uh, we plugged it in, and it just worked. And that was it, sold. So that that was my first thing. I think it was 1985, and uh, and got the modem, and and then started connecting to all these bulletin boards around. And when I started connecting to all these bulletin boards in the local area, I kept hearing about this bulletin board that was up, but uh, but was on hiatus, and and no one was really sure when it was coming back. And uh, and the bulletin board was called Treasure Vault Two, and uh, and then one night I was on this local. Uh, it was called Diversa Dial. It was this system that ran on an Apple II where there were you could put seven Apple Cats in it, 
and have seven people, eight people, including the sysop, right? Or six Apple cats and the seventh was the sysop chatting. And mm-hmm. I ran into the, uh, the, the sysop of this other bulletin board, Treasure Vault 2, that I knew was an Apple II-based board. And uh, his name was, uh, can I tell him what the name was, John? No. Okay. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell him anyway. His name was The Shadow. And of course, the shadow is uh, is, uh, is 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 as you all know him, Mister John Braun, and uh, and he knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. So that was the inspiration. Uh, I think shortly thereafter, you did finally restart uh, Treasure Vault Two, and uh, and I think that was nineteen. Well, it would have to have been nineteen eighty six. Because I remember you, the first time we spoke on the phone was in 1986, and you called mm-hmm. me to voice validate me uh, as a new user on Treasure Vault 2. Now, you got to understand, this was a, Treasure Vault 2 was a big deal. John was like a local rock star in the bulletin board community. Um, because, because my phone exchange. Now, remember back oh, then. That's well, why. Oh, among, Well, it wasn't just my phone exchange. It was <laughs> also because I was, you know. Connected. Me. <laughs> 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 Very nicely put. But but no, it was a, it, for some reason, I lived in an area, and it was called Georgetown. And it was not so much a town as George, like a This district, is Georgetown, they, Connecticut, just for... Yeah, for, but yeah. they put a... So there is no town government. It's a, it's a district or a region. Right. But they had a phone exchange, and I was fortunate. And it would reach places that in no way, shape, or form touched where I live. Right. So I had an immediate advantage, because again, you really couldn't you know most people that got modems weren't into running up massive huge phone bills which now when you think about that is like a thing of the past I mean, is, long distance yeah. huh yeah who does that anymore that is like so <laughs> um but yeah because i was in an area where so many people could call in i mean it was it was ringing off the hook and i only had one line right so uh right that was a lot of fun but i also as dave pointed out i, I like to keep uh, uh you know run a run a tight ship Mm -hmm. so i would voice validate people so they wouldn't goof around so people were accountable for what they did on the system so if they called and signed up for something um, yeah i called back just to make sure they were who they said they were which uh was not an uncommon practice back then some some i was was really nervous that night i I remember you know when the the phone when the phone rang and yeah my dad says uh dave it's it's for you (laughs) hello Uh, you know (laughs) i'm just a kid and, and uh and and John got on the phone and you know he had his big deep voice. He's like, "Hey, it's the shadow." <laughs> and, hey. uh, yeah, and I remember. I it's a good thing I remember asking you how old you were. I don't know why I uh, asked you that uh, at that point in time, but I did, uh, and that's what allowed me to remember what year it was. I won't I won't tell them how old you were in nineteen eighty six. Just keep that. Leave that as an exercise to the listener. Uh, but I remember that because they had some yeah. boards where anybody could sign up. Right, and right. Those boards tended to degrade into kitty wars. Yeah, flame wars or yeah. early flame wars were were started on these systems. Yeah. Whereas you know, because I knew everybody, um, yeah. and a lot of us got together through, like the uh, you know the multi-user chat systems. The other one you and I were talking about uh, oh, that yeah. Steve ran. Yeah, the suspect ran. You know, let me let me tell them about the the, the other sponsor for the show here. And uh, and then oh, we can definitely. and then we can tell them about this because this is actually a great little tangent. I realize this whole show is tangents, but uh, but you know you knew what you were signing up for. We're uh, we're here. So <laughs> uh, the <laughs> the the other sponsor for for tonight's show is Audible, and Audible is 
for those of you who don't know, uh, a reseller of audiobooks. And they've got, you know, like over 30, I think over 35,000 titles online. And uh, if you click through our special link that they've given us, uh, it's in the show notes, you get one free download. Now, this is a this is a cool thing. Um, these books are awesome. Lisa, my wife the other night, uh, just signed up and she downloaded uh, Salem's Lot, totally unabridged. And uh, she was playing. It sounds great. It's uh, it'll sync up with her iPod and, uh, you know, you can play it on your computer, on your iPod. You can burn it to CD. Basically, anywhere that you could play this podcast, you could play an audio uh, book from Audible, your your uh, your trio, obviously to work on a PC as well. And uh, and they've got all kinds of stuff. They make it really, really easy to uh, to do all this stuff. I was. The, how how I invented the personal computer from from of course Steve Wozniak is in there that's in there unabridged Stephen Levy's the perfect thing how the iPod shuffles commerce culture and coolness uh, Alan Deutschman's the second coming of Steve Jobs that's in there too all, all kinds of great stuff so Audible available at audible.com uh, but if you go to macgeekgab.com and click through on the show 100 show notes you'll see uh, the link for the your one free download check it out it comes with a two week free trial. And uh, very, very cool. So, all right. As promised, we had this buddy, uh, and John, you knew him better than I, or got to know him better than I did, although I guess we all kind of, we all wound up hanging out. And he had, I think it was a a PDP-6, isn't that right, that he got from his old employer? It was a machine that they were going to toss, I guess. I I don't know if you consider it a super mini or a mini, but Hmm. it was probably what you could... (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, probably what you know you could fit on a desk and buy for five hundred bucks now. But still, That's it was right. a, a yeah. deck, a, a version of deck. I mean, I remember it had these big disc platters. Yeah, and and we weren't talking floppies here. We were talking things that were like you know the size of a bicycle tire. Right. <laughs> and so he he set it up in his basement and he got what eight phone lines and wrote from scratch in is it RPG? Is that what he wrote it in? I I think he did I, basic. No, I no, thought it was basic. RPG. I don't think it was basic. I'm pretty he had sure. some stuff in basic. Okay. Well, so I remember it, we were goofing around, but oh, he, okay. he probably right. patched together a few things. Yeah. I think he had a few different compilers. Okay. So, yeah. So he wrote this this bulletin board, and it had, uh, you know, bu- bulletin board, which is essentially like forums. For those of you, and I realize now all of a sudden there may be a ton of What's you a out there. Right. Board? Yeah, that are saying this. That's right. So the idea behind a bulletin board was single user, right, typically, a single user. The ones that John and I, and we'll talk about mine in a minute, the ones that John and I run, ran were single user at a time. You would log in. You could check your email from other members of that board, uh, and we mm-hmm. won't get into the whole FidoNet thing, but but essentially it was that board. And then you could go to the message bases, and each one, you know, you might have, I don't know, five message bases or 50, and each one had a different topic, you know, general, just like just like the forums that you get at, you know, MacObserver.com right now. But the difference was, of course, you were the only one interacting with it at any point in time. So you'd log in and do your thing and read new messages and post something and then log out. And maybe somebody else would log in and post something new. And then you come back and you check new messages. So Steve had all that and he wrote a chat system. And it was really, really smooth the way this guy, the interface and everything it was all text. Uh, but he hooked up these you know, eight modems to it and... Uh, and you could get online and chat, and it worked out great. Right, John? And I remember okay. some spirited evenings where we would, you know, um, like to play tricks on people, mm-hmm. especially people who we didn't necessarily like. So 
That's right. I may have accidentally turned the modem off. Yeah. Or, and then I get it, I believe Steve did this. So, so we did something to discourage people. We, we wanted to go away. He wrote a program that would inject what looked like line noise into the serial data stream. For just that back, one and person. Because modems, modems, you know, I mean, voice telephone lines were never intended to send or receive data. Modems are just kind of a hack. I mean, they're dealing with a bandwidth that was meant to reproduce human voice, not data. Right. Um, but, of course, you know, throughout, you know, both our careers, Dave, I mean, we started with 300 bit per second modems. Uh, you did. And, I started uh, with a 1200. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I had the Apple Cat, which was 300 and a little. And a little. 1200. And 1200 half duplex. That's right. Yeah. But if the phone line was not up up to snuff sometimes you may have seen a little tilde or a little you know weird character so what we do he, he wrote a program that would inject this at increasing uh you know frequency uh, into someone's uh, data stream uh, until they figured that there was something wrong and they hung up of course then the next person calling in would get their line right it was first come first serve yeah yeah. Uh, but that was fun. And then a lot of us got together, and I, I still remember is that people never, ever look like how they sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We would do it at Cranberry Park in, in Norwalk, Connecticut. Yes. We would do... Big tree we, and all that. That yep. was great. We, we, what started as uh, as Comlink, that was the name of this multi-user bulletin board that Steve wrote, um, and, and we would do these Comlink gatherings where people just get together on a Sunday afternoon and bring a Frisbee and burgers and beer or, what you know, whatever, and uh, just hang out it was just a you know time to get together with face to face with all these people that uh you know that otherwise you just knew by handle the cool thing was like john said most of the time all these people were local so you didn't have to travel to a trade show or whatever to meet all the people that you were communicating with uh they were usually right there so uh, we also had go ahead if you recall this was still um cb era Right. So to compliment, so, so the tools we had at our disposal to meet other people were uh, the modem, which was you know a relatively small population, but then right. several of the people that did modem also did radio, either ham radio or CB or something else. So those yep. were the tools we had at our disposal. I mean, this is way before, you know, affordable cell, cell phones. phones. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think they had the bricks. Kind yeah. of them at all. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Nope. Yeah. Really All right, dating ourselves here. <laughs> yeah. So then, then uh, also in 1980s, and really, you know, I was when I was going through this today, I realized that you know my formative years were spent on that Apple IIc. I mean, there's no question about it. My formative computing years, and frankly, my formative years for what I was doing, because it was that, or I was down in the basement playing my drums. Um, but in 1986, I I upgraded from the 1200 baud Popcom to a 2400 baud US Robotics Courier, the USR Courier 2400. And this was like the holy grail at the time. It was a killer modem. It had error correction. It had all this great stuff. And, uh, of course, it could transfer files at twice the speed of, uh, of the 1200 baud modem. But remember, I couldn't plug in all these Hayes-compatible modems into my, uh, into my Apple IIc. But I'd learned a lot since then, and I knew there was a way to make it work. And uh, so the IIc had a DB9 serial connector on the back of it, and... So did this Popcom modem that I had. It was it had like this weird thing. It was just built for the Apple IIc. But I'd done some research. Now remember, there was no Google, there was no internet. So you know, it was just piecing together bits and pieces of data that I was able to scrounge around. And I thought, okay, you know what? I think the serial port on my Apple IIc is backwards. And what I did was I built a custom RS-232 cable. So it was DB9, 9-pin serial port on the Apple IIc, 25-pin port on this uh, U.S. robotics modem that was coming in. 
And I realized that I needed to, it effectively was acting like a null modem. So I put, I had to swap pins two and three for send and receive data. Four and five, which I believe were clear to send and return to, or ready to, clear to send and ready to send or something like that. And then pins mm -hmm. 20 and six, which were, uh, DTR, I, DTR and, was one of DTR them. DTR and DSR. That's it. Thank you. 20 was at CT, but yeah, there's yeah. some. And oh, so I had man. to swap. I had to swap those three pairs of pins, and then everything worked. Uh, I was able to get it all working. It the computer could uh, flow control right because if the if the data stream coming in was too fast for the computer to process, it had to tell the modem, "No, wait, hang on." And the modem had a little buffer, and 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 so all of that worked. It was all hardware flow control, which was great because that then got me ready for. The next phase, which was setting up a bulletin board. Now, I kept calling all these bulletin boards. Did you have something to say before I, before I got into this one, John? Uh, oh, where could we be here? Uh, here no. at... Okay. I think... Uh, I think, I think really. Serial okay. cable. I'm, I just shudder at the serial cables because I remember there, there was an age where getting the hardware to work was half the fun or figuring oh, yeah. out the cable. Yeah. Uh, I remember doing it for serial printers and right. just getting machines to talk to each other. And the, I think those were probably the bad old days. Whereas now yeah. I mean, you don't need to think about it. You plug something in. It just works. The problem now I think is a lot of the work is now uh, Drivers. put in the lap of the, uh, the uh, software writer, right. not the uh, hardware wiring type of guy. Right. But yeah, go, go on. Okay. So, so I, uh, I got this bulletin board and, or I got this courier and then I guess it was late 87, maybe early 88 that I realized, okay, look, I'm going off to college in about another year and a half. Um, wouldn't it be cool if I set up a, a bulletin board here? I knew I was going to get another computer for college, and so wouldn't it be cool if I set up a bulletin board here where I could exchange email with my parents because the computer, you know, the Apple IIc was in the house. And, uh, and I wanted to set up a bulletin board anyway, so this was kind of the excuse. And uh, so I went, I had a, uh, I had also added what was called the Apple Uni Disc to the Apple IIc. Now, the IIc had a single-sided uh, five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy drive built into it, and I think I'd added a second one of those just so I had two if I wanted to copy discs. But I'd also added a three-and-a-half-inch Apple Uni Disc, mm. which was an 800K floppy, uh, three-and-a-half-inch floppy, uh, double-sided, not high-density, double-density. Uh, I don't think it was high-density. No, the Mac was the first thing that, that I had that did high-density. And, uh, and so I figured, okay, well, I got enough room. On one 800K disc, I can run a bulletin board. And I did. I got a copy of uh, of GBBS Pro, which is also the thing that John used to run Treasure Vault to, and uh, and I was a big fan of the, the uh, Douglas Adams uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy, which isn't, but uh, <laughs> and uh, and so I named the bulletin board Millaways, and uh, it had a nice theme to it, and uh, you know pulled all this stuff together. One of the things I didn't like about GBBS, and, and I know there's like three of you out there that remember this, three of the, whatever it is, 25,000 that listen. And uh, GBBS, when you logged in, you know, you would get a command prompt, and there were single key commands that you would type, you know, B to go to the bulletin boards, M, or I think E to go to email. I can't even remember now. I don't think they called it email. I think mm -hmm. it was just M for mail. But whatever it was, there were different things that you could do. And I always hated having to hit return. I really liked the bulletin boards that I logged into that did one key and it just went you know when you type the key and bam off it goes so i actually wrote a uh a, a one key input routine for that 
And now for your bulletin board, which also ran GBBS Pro, mm -hmm. you wrote an index because once you got enough users ah, on, yes. on the system, it it would really slow down logging in, right? Somebody would type their password and it would take forever to so look them like, up. Yeah. And yeah, so I I got to learn a bit about how to modify software because right. what when I looked at the code, what he was doing um, was it Greg Schaefer? The Greg guy? Schaefer. GBS? That's exactly right. Oh, yeah, man. it's coming from I the past. Dude. But, <laughs> anyways, and I looked at his routine, and because I had probably, you know, I mean, I I think I had at one point like three hundred users, which now it sounds, you know, you know, huh? <laughs> but for a local bulletin board, that wasn't oh, too no. shabby. Was, yeah. And the problem was, what he would do is read through the user file a user at a time. So you would type in your username and password. It would read through each record, right? Saying. Is this it? Nope. Is this it? Nope. Is this it? Nope. Now, you know, that's kind of inefficient. Yeah. So then Especially I thought, well, if you were gee, user number I... 255. Yeah, if yeah. you were the last schmuck that just signed up for an account, it would take you the longest. Right. <laughs> Which wasn't nice either, because I would see people that would hang up because it would take forever. So I'm like, well, let me write a little, you know, you said an index routine, you know, and I think what I did is, you know, check the uh, the first letter of the last name. So I think I created an individual, you know, I mean, primitive when I look at it now, but I think I created an individual file for each letter of the alphabet. So it's like, oh, you're a B. Okay, I'll go to the B file. Right. Right. Or something like that, or, or by user number. So I would, you know, break it down so it wasn't always looking from beginning to end. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, what did you do? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, like, the board is so fast. I don't have to wait a minute to log in. <laughs> yeah. And then I shared that with you. And you, you and I both shared. Like, yeah. I think I like the, uh, the single key thing. So, that's right. And everybody in the community was always sharing, you know, tips with each other. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that single key thing was cool because I had to... The routine I had to write was actually monitoring the data stream, right? Because normally GBBS would just sit there and wait until it got a, uh, a an enter, and then it would process whatever the text on that line was. It wasn't watching the input stream, but it had the capability to because as the uh, as the sysop, the system operator, sitting at the keyboard, I could you know hit I think control. C to chat with the user or control A to put mm -hmm. the user on hold and, and go into the administrative thing to do something yep. I needed to do or whatever it was. So I knew that it was monitoring. It, it had the capability to be aware of what key was being typed at any moment and and just found where that hook was and then just, you know, hung this little subroutine off of it that essentially would go through a loop saying, is the character one of these, you know, 18 things? And if no, go back to the top, and which was, is the character one of these 18 things? And it would just sit there and go round and round and round. It was very inefficient from a CPU utilization standpoint, but the computer was a single task machine, so it didn't matter if the CPU was running at zero or 100. It was only doing that one thing at that mm -hmm. point. So I don't even know how taxing it was, to be honest with you. It, because it didn't matter. It was fast enough so that if you yeah. hit B, bam, it would. And the cool thing was, I didn't just have it jump there. I had it fill out. If you'd hit B, it would just say bulletin boards or M for message boards mm -hmm. or whatever it was. It would, it would type the whole thing out and then bring you to uh, to whatever the whatever the next thing was. And it had to load each module from the floppy. So if you logged into a bulletin board and you hit B to go to the yep. the bulletin boards, you actually had to wait for it to load them from the disk. Um, just th you know. Thinking about that and then thinking about what and, – and the, the TMO code base, to, to be fair, uh, has been modified and enhanced by a lot of people. But the core of the TMO code base I wrote. And so to think about how fast that runs with, you know, thousands of people 
on you know each hour or whatever it is um it just it blows my mind to be honest with you <laughs> mm-hmm. um well, so we cut our teeth on the bbs days we did um, i think i did that until about 80 uh, late 80s and then also i kept my uh, trusty apple 2e and i actually did it for both my associates and my bachelors because uh, back then, Apple IIs were usable in school. I, I remember right, doing right. most of my work either in BASIC or some people may remember the Mini Assembler, and 6502 was a very nice assembler to learn because it was small. When <laughs> <laughs> you had an accumulator, two registers, there wasn't a lot there, but it was almost like a risk processor. Uh, but I also remember okay. UCSD Pascal. You may have done that. Yep. Um, and Pascal was kind of the you know the thing you did in school. Yeah, Pascal was great. Um, Pascal reminds me a lot of PHP, you know, John. I know you don't do anything in PHP, but it, it's sort of the yeah. same thing. It's uh, very, well, very simple. So, Yeah, but the 2E served me both uh, pretty much through about four years of college. Okay. Uh, both for Pascal, BASIC, um, also did, you know, some Honeywell and uh, IBM 360 work. And then um, when CPM came out, I took a uh, Z80 course and, of course, the... Uh, they had a Z80 car for the Apple IIe, so I was able to use it for that. So it was it was cool that it was a machine that could be used for uh, for college work. Okay, um, okay, okay. Because it had all the things, because they were like, oh, you're on, a, you know, because then, of course, you know, you had the IBM people, oh, well, you can't do real work on an Apple. Right. It's an educational machine. I'm like, well, Duh. Uh, you know, it runs UCSD Pascal. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So now, so which one was a bias, which some of us had to yeah. live with having an Apple. Oh, it, the Apple I back always... then was classified as the educational machine for yeah. like school kids, not for you know college work. Which, but of course, you know, we know there were lots of uh, you know apples in labs and oh yeah, you know, colleges and stuff. But it started even back then. Yep. The persecution. The, the persecution. <laughs> so which one? And I mean, we you went from your two E to your first Mac, and I went from my two C to my first Mac. Which one of us got a Mac for? I think I did, right? I used you Mac used them first when I did a co-op. Yeah, um, but I remember I think, the first yeah, Mac. I purchased I, my first in ninety. You, I think, got your yes. You you were the first. You, okay, you got a, a year before me. Yeah. So I, the first Mac I ever used, though, I remember was at your house because you were bringing home like a a Mac. SE maybe or something. Ah Didn't yes, you? from uh, one of my uh, yes co-op, of your co-op gigs. That's gigs. right. Yeah, that was I, the first I, time I, I used. I don't know a Mac. how I scammed them. I'm like, oh, I need to bring this home. Right. That's <laughs> right. I'm like, really? Okay. And okay. I'm like, oh my gosh, they let me take a Macintosh home. <laughs> yeah, and you called me up, and of course I ran up to your house, and, and <laughs> that was that. You know, John and I, we would get together about once a week. There's something familiar here, <laughs> and uh, it was at night, usually on the weekend, and we would, you know, get pizza or something. And we would just geek out from, you know, maybe, I don't know, seven or eight o'clock until usually until I had to go home, which was, you know, about midnight, I guess. And this was actually even before I was driving, right? You would come down to Norwalk and, and uh, pick me up and we'd go up to your house and then bring me back. But, uh, yeah, I guess that it's not too much different from what we're doing now. Uh, anyway, in 1989, uh, I was getting ready to go off to school. And so I got a, a Mac SE30, and I got it with the 40 meg hard drive and one meg of DRAM. This is megabytes, not gigabytes. And uh, and then I remember I found I got a deal on, and it, so it had eight memory slots in it, and uh, and it came with four 256k chips. And I found a deal, or you know somehow 
got a line on on four one meg chips, and so I thought, oh, I can upgrade this thing to five megs of RAM. Whoa. I I'll never forget the afternoon I did this. I was on the floor in my room. It was you know summertime. It was hot. Sweat was pouring off of me. You know, I'd gotten one of the big long long handled Torx T15 screwdrivers that you needed to open up the SC30. Mm -hmm. But the first time you opened one of these things up, man, you had to really kind of pry. Excuse me, pry that case. Well, they apart. had a case cracker, right? I didn't have the case cracker. I I, I had to make a notch in it with a with a screwdriver. Because I don't uh, think Steve really wanted people to get inside. No, of but those. the cool thing was once you got inside, like the like the the all-in-one Max before it, it had all the signatures inside the case, and uh, and so, so I the Apple actually my two E I think did also. You're right. Oh um, yeah, it did. the Apple twos did too. Yeah, uh, no yeah. more of that. No, and the, and the Amigas anymore. did too, didn't they? The Amigas or the I think it was the Amigas had had signatures in the cases. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I, I finally did it, and that was my first real foray into operating inside a computer because, of course, remember, my, I had the 2C, which I'd opened up and put some chips in, but I shouldn't have. Um, so mm -hmm. and so that was my first Mac, which which I did then take to college with me. And um, um, uh, then I got caught. But anyway, uh, what was your <laughs> what was your first Mac, John? So my first Mac, so, so yeah, d d during my... Um... My undergrad work, I also did co-op, which I recommend for anybody. Internship, co-op, work in the field before you commit yourself to a life of potential misery. Wow. <laughs> Way to sell it, me. John. I mean, as you know, no, I'm just saying, you know, uh, give it a trial run before you get a degree in something and spend your life at it. If... So anyways. For, for those of you that, I don't. Uh, before you go on here, for those of you that are on your way to work and used to this 45-minute podcast thing, now's the time when you're getting to work. Uh, there'll probably be another 15 minutes for you to enjoy on your uh, on your way home because we're not going to stop here. We've got plenty to go through, so keep on trucking, John. Okay. So, anyways, at um, you know, one of my uh, uh, co-op gigs there was when I was exposed to the Mac 2, which, oh my gosh, compared to your machine, I mean, the yeah. the, 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 the SE was definitely cool, or the SE 30, but the Mac 2 had slots. Right. Lots right. of slots because I work for a boss. I mean, we use them for data entry, but we use them for so much more. So it was just a, a very forward-looking boss who, who got us these because there was all this stuff to do and we didn't have to do it data entry. But then I finally, when the CI came out, because the one thing I didn't like about the Mac 2 is you had to buy a video board. Right. Didn't have onboard video. Right. Um, the CI was one of the first, I think it was the first Mac 2 that had onboard video. I think the I was integrated. Uh, and I think it was a 68030. So I was like, oh. That's the one for me. Okay. That was nice. That had the signature in the case, but it had slots. Right. And so that was a very nice, uh, that, that was my first Mac. That was, a that good was around machine. 1990. Yeah. yeah. The CI, um, you know, it, it broke, the, it, but it got a lot of people excited because it, they integrated. You could certainly still get um, video, but you had it on board in case. Uh, right. Just to start to. with. That's right. Yeah, so it was a good starter machine. I think it brought more people into the, the Mac Fold because you got everything you needed in one box. Right. Um, and yeah, back then I, yeah, I couldn't. I think I remember putting one or two meg chips in there. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, I finally wasn't a lot. Bumped my SE30 up to eight megs of RAM, which is the most you could do in that. And uh, I eventually put a card. I think it was a Super Mac or a Rasterops card that would allow me to plug in a uh, an external and color monitor. Um, so that that bought a lot of life out of that thing for me. It wasn't until '95 that uh, I had moved down to Austin uh, in April of 95 and shortly thereafter um, ordered the first clone available, which was the Power 100. 
mm-hmm. and uh, and got one of the first hundred off the line. Mine was the only one of the first hundred that had any problems, or you know, so they told me. And uh, being that they were also in Austin, I actually wound up bringing it up there and uh, and met Mike Rosenfeld, who uh, who was their marketing guy and and has kind of bounced around since then. And that was the first place I met Bob Levitas because he was their uh, chief evangelist. And he doesn't remember. Yeah, I remember Mike introducing me to him. Yeah. And uh, it was a very brief thing. It was, you know, Bob was like walking by going somewhere while we were working on Mm -hmm. my machine. And uh, he's like, oh, this is Bob. And I'm like, hey, you know, and that was that. But, uh, but yeah, and and I had that for uh, you had one of those too, right? You did you have, you had a Power One Hundred, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I had two two of them. I looked back, so I had a Power One Hundred because I think you inspired me, right? And the clones were all the rage because I think some people and I think the power computing went a little, you know, you had a little more um, oomph to the machines. I think they, you know, deviated. If I recall, I mean, it must have been something yeah. that cost us to buy it. Well, oh, well, it was the price. Right. It was always oh, ridiculously <laughs> cheap, dude. Uh, you know, it was like it was the same, effectively the same computer as a, a Power Mac eighty one hundred slash one hundred, but uh, I mean, it was uh, you know, like two thirds the price. It was there was no no question. It was like yeah, and, that's the machine, and it came with a T shirt. You know, did you get that yep. T shirt with the light the, the the license to to clone or whatever it was on the on the back? It looked like a driver's license. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if I still have. Yeah, I remember that. And they, they had a, 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 they had events at some of the shows. Did they have a bungee yeah. jumping thing? They did. Yeah, they were crazy. They were, but they, um, that was Mike Rosenfeld. You know, I, yeah, he was crazy. But you know, I have to agree with the shutting down of that, even though it was unpopular. Is that? Oh no, it was better for Apple. It, yeah, yeah. The the, the brand yeah. would have gone away. So. Oh yeah. Sorry, the machines weren't going to be as cheap as comparable PCs, now, but uh, in, they have their upside. In 1995, when we bought our Power 100s, I also, mm. now I had moved to Austin, and I had done, relatively speaking, fairly well financially before we moved down there. I was a consultant, I'd, I'd weaseled a great little gig at Citibank, and and effectively had moved down to Austin with about a year's worth of living expenses in the bank, which wasn't bad for, you know, early 20s or whatever. Uh, Lisa and I just kind of picked up, we, were, we weren't. We were dating then, uh, and our first our first shot at living together was down in Austin. So we went down there and knew that we, you know, we had to get jobs at some point, and we started looking. And while we were looking, uh, I remember one night we went out to dinner, and while we were waiting for a table, Lisa was reading the the, the local Austin, you know, scene rag, and it uh, said that there was this band from Boston that needed a drummer for an upcoming tour in the fall. And uh, with with uh, I don't mean to get real sappy here. With tears in her eyes, she hands me the thing. She's like, "You have to, you know, you have to do this," and uh, and sure enough, I did. Uh, it was a band called Hypnotic Clambake. They're still touring around, but I spent three months on the road with them, playing drums. And uh, before I left, this does tie into the Mac stuff. I knew I needed a way to keep connected while on the road, so I bought a used. I think I bought a PowerBook 520C. Uh, which I believe had a 25 megahertz processor in it, the 040 processor, if I'm not mistaken. And I also bought an acoustic coupler because I knew that I was going to need to get online in weird places. And believe it or not, I used it from pay phones to get email. And uh, that was pretty cool. It was like war games. You know, I had this, it was a, you know, it's strapped into the phone and Velcro straps around. I've still got the thing somewhere in one of my, uh, you know, boxes of, of history here. But uh, I used that on the road, so that's uh, that was the that was the next purchase, and I had that laptop for a long time. That was my my travel machine, as slow as it was. 
with a passive matrix screen. Mm-hmm. Hey, it was a start. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Now, you know, looking back, actually, I didn't mention this, but I think you stopped by this place. But from around mm. 84 to 87, I worked at this place called Small Computer Service Center. Mm-hmm. Westport. They're not there anymore, but that was, um, it was just, you know, around the Apple II days. Um, they sold software, hardware, and the, uh, the, so there was a wife who was a teacher and then the husband, and he was an engineer, and he actually inspired me uh, during my studies because he taught me how to fix things at component level, like how to do things like solder and desolder, and, and uh, back when they had chips and sockets and you could debug things, right? it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Cool. All right. So, uh, which one of us bought? Anyways, the... to move forward again. So, where? So, so I think. See here. I think in, see. Pow- in in 1997 was when we both bought our next machines. Right. I bought a Power Center 150. I sold my Power 100 to a client whose SE30 I I scorched while uh, while swapping RAM. You had to be really careful uh, in those inside those SE30s not to break the little video tube, and I I broke hers. So I sold her my Power 100 cheap and bought a Power Center 150. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think you bought you bought something more manly at that point. Power Center Pro Two Ten. Such began the wars that John and I have had over the years <coughs> of who had more muscle, who had more computing muscle uh, at any given time. And and John at that point stretched out way ahead of me. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, and I yeah, think, but it's it's a, ladies, it's a guys thing. That's right. You know, oh, absolutely. My lawnmower is bigger than yours. My That's all it is. Snowplow, whatever. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's a guy thing. You just That's right. Lisa knows this, right? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. She understands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. So and 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 it actually it it, it gets a little boring here, right? Because it's I mean that now we're just getting into computers that we uh, that we use. Yeah. But we got uh, well. We we uh, shared an appreciation for the uh, Pismo, I think. We did. Call it. We both got Pismos in. Uh, you you didn't buy yours in, in. I'm looking at your list here. I actually found the email today, um, uh, and that was in uh, 199. It was in 2000 that we both got our Pismos. Mm. So, yeah. But the thing I liked about that Mac, number one, it was kind of curvy. It was kind of an interesting design. It was square, but it had some curves, so it just right. caught your eye. But Oh, it was um, sexy. The thing I remember is it had two bays. So right. if you wanted to, and you wanted the thing to weigh um, 10 pounds, you could put in two batteries, and you had, like, infinite battery life. Right. That's the one thing I miss from all the current batch of Macs is that they – and that, I think, was a, a piece of excellent engineering, is that both sides, from what I recall, you could put compatible devices in either side except maybe the CD-ROM drive. But yeah, the, the CD-ROM the, only went in one side, but you could put a zip drive in and all kinds of other stuff. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the zip actually leads to, I think, one of the machines I got down the road again. Okay. A lot of this now is just newer machines. But I remember probably the worst choice I made, and I'm looking at this machine right now, glaring at it, actually, yeah. was a G4 with, uh, here we go, here's the uh, one-two punch of, of dead drives, a DVD RAM, and a zip drive. Yeah. The zip drive worked great which, for a while, though. Neither one of which. And I think, yeah, zip drives, if I recall, the big deal was I think they were 100 megabytes on a, right? Yeah. About that. Yeah. On a floppy-sized, about a floppy-sized thing. So that was just blew everybody away. Yeah. Now, of course, what do we got? Yeah. DVD something or other. 
All right, so I'm gonna let, let's uh, unless there's anything fast forward. Yeah, let, yeah so I'm gonna fast. Are... I'm gonna fast forward to where I am, and then you just fast forward to where you are. Uh, yes. So <laughs> in, in in 2000, I bought the uh, the PowerBook Pismo, with, to which I added a 19 inch SGI display at one point, and that was really my my switch to where my laptop. Since 2000, a laptop has been my main machine. There were some moments in there where I rude that uh, where I I almost went back. I then upgraded to a, a 1 gigahertz G4 PowerBook, a 1.25 gigahertz G4 PowerBook, finally a 1.67 gigahertz G4 PowerBook that I sat on for over two years and couldn't stand it anymore. I can stand so much, but I can't stand no more. And finally ordered the, the walked out of the keynote speech last year. And you folks know this story. The longtime listeners do. Walked out of the keynote speech last year in January of 06, sat down in the speaker's lounge, and ordered my MacBook Pro. That's my main machine today. The uh, the other Mac that I use, uh, I bought used actually on eBay, is a um, uh, the, the one that I'm using right now. The mirrored door dual G4, dual 1.42 gigahertz G4. And... Uh, and that's that's uh, that's where it went. I, you know, the power books all nice. the way around. Very nice. Uh, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I did just find one thing. August twenty fourth, nineteen ninety four. I have the first email that I sent over a uh, a, a TCP/IP connection. John and I had had shell accounts with various pr- providers. I think one was called Portal. But uh, mm-hmm. but we were able to use this thing called Slip. Wait, oh no no what was it no it was well it was PPP is what we would connect with but there was this thing that allowed Slip you serial link internet protocol no it was called TI there was this thing it was this piece of software called TIA that you ran on your shell account on a Unix machine that allowed mm. you to connect uh, and it was TIA stood for the internet adapter and allowed you to connect your your computer directly and, and use a, a, a direct TCP connection, which is exactly what we all use now when you connect broadband or even if you connect dial-up, you're still using PPP. And, uh, and, and so the email, the first email that I sent once I got that working was to John, uh, Vazrat at was uh, your, your email address. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, it says, I think I'm going to like this TCP IP thing. I just need to get PPP working because slip tends to suck. Oh, well. And Dave, so that that was the uh, the first email that I sent from my Mac SE30 using Eudora, and I've still got it in my uh, archives along with everything else I've sent. Uh-huh. So, so. Oh, I'm yucking it up over this. Well, actually, no. Huh? The first one I sent to you. Good news. This was sent on November uh, 21st, uh, 1996. Yeah, I guess that's no, I... you. You had it before that, I think. Yeah, I think nah, I may have some past Eudoras. This is when I switched over to another provider, and I'm like, ooh, they're only seventeen ninety five a month. Yeah, it was cheap, yeah. Uh, well, it was, uh, but not for the speed you get. No, no, no. I mean, for the 300 or 1,200 or 24 or it was whatever we got. Yeah. yeah. And actually, might... I guess we maxed out at 56, but even then it Eventually. was kind of 56. But now yeah. I'm looking at, you know, I got a, uh, a T1 at <laughs> least. Way more than a T1. Way more, yeah. or yeah. fiber actually. I mean, yeah. Yeah. All right. So do your do your fast forward. So in 2000, you had your uh, your Pismo, and then yeah. So Pismo, and then pretty much it progressed to uh, Power Mac G4 with the uh, aforementioned uh, drives that no longer have support. Mm-hmm. Then I got a what they called a Tybook, uh, titanium power book. Right. That was around uh, 2001. Yep. 
Then uh, PowerBook G4, which I still have. Uh, that was about 2004, maybe. Yeah. And then 2005, right. I got the Power Mac G5, dual uh, dual two gig. <clears throat> so I'm still Intel-less. That's right. Probably not for long. Oh, really? Is there something you want to tell me, John? I'm No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm waiting for a 12-inch uh, Intel machine. Ah, uh, well, that might come. I mean, who knows? I may be waiting for a while, but you I just may. like the yeah. form factor. Right. It's my favorite, favorite travel machine, and I see so many people that have the same machine, and it's just... Yep. Um, not that your machine, you know, that's... Uh... Oh, I like it. Although, you know, I was talking to, to um, Greg Snyder at Backbeat today, and he was, he's in, he was, it was in the market. He actually placed his order today, but he was in the market for a MacBook Pro, and I said, you know, if I had to do it again, I might do the... Uh, just the MacBook. Um, yeah, it I, looks. I, you know, I like the smaller size, to be honest. So. And the keyboard's not bad. I, no, I, it's killer. It's awesome. I was nervous because I'm like, oh, it looks like a chiclet keyboard, no, which we no. ran into in our early days, and those right. were terrible. Right. Yes, terrible. <laughs> All uh, right, so we got through, uh, I think we got did, through the history here. Oh, so, so that's our history. Um, there, there's one cool thing that we found, but before we mention that, we... We'd said that two of the histories would win uh, the, uh, the 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 licenses for one. One will win text expander, and one will win PDF pen, and uh, and so here we go. Uh, the the first one. You want to do art first or Mike first, John? You pick. Um, I guess we should do art, art first. Yeah. Okay. So art wins PDF pen. And uh, and Art's computer history, we got so much of this stuff, and I want to thank you all for sending it in. John and I both. It read, was a trip down. It man, was awesome. It was awesome. Reading how far back some people went, especially. Yeah, yeah. Scott I mean, Barman we got had a, a good a, bunch of geeks. We do. Yeah, Scott. Scott Scott Barman <laughs> had a comment at the end that is the exact same thing I, I am to John when I finished putting my history together, which was, man, that was fun, and it was. It was. This was awesome. So anyway, uh, Art struck our fancy because he had well his the first computer was an apple II 16k serial number 660 <laughs> which he still has in Three the original box digit yeah i that just oh my gosh here's, he was there here's, here's the next thing he had an apple disc 2 which went with the apple II serial number 450 purchased when it came out six months after buying the apple II. He upgraded the Apple II to a two plus. Here, here he gets he, he gets major geek points yep. here by swapping out the integer basic ROMs with floating point basic ROMs. That's that's serious geekery. If you know what he's talking about, the, yeah. the, the first Apple IIs could only had an early version of base. So this guy pulled the chips out and put them back in. Mm -hmm. Like I was talking at, right. at one point in time. You could take chips out and put them back in. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah, computers were hobby machines. I mean, not like, just memory like, chips. Yeah, right. You're right. Yeah, the, like chips that mattered. Um, <laughs> so then he had a Mac 128K, which he purchased in a bundle with the ImageWriter 2 and the external disk drive. Upgraded the Mac 128K to a Mac Plus. Then an original PowerBook, i.e., luggable 100 with the lead acid battery. An Apple Newton message pad. You know what? I had one of those. Uh, I have one. Yeah. Yeah, I sold mine when I bought my PowerBook 520C. Uh, a, a Mac 2 SI, uh, a mm. Power Mac 7200, a Power Mac Cube 500 with the 15-inch studio display. And uh, he bought it as a refurb when they were discontinued mm. and is still using it. So maybe not, oops. 
uh, an iBook 700 megahertz with three logic board repairs that were fixed under warranty, which then turned into <laughs> an, a 900 megahertz iBook, uh, which was the free bonus upgrade, kind of like what you got, John. Uh, but he says that, too, had two logic board failures. So maybe there's something going on. Uh, and now he's got a, a white Intel MacBook, first-generation Core Duo, which he's still using. And he says in the planning stages are an Infrant Ready NAS and a Mac Mini. So uh, so there you go. That's Art with his very low serial numbers on very early Apple machines. So uh, nice. that that's Art. Now, Mike's story just... It was. It's a good story. So it touched us, and uh, and independently, John and I both picked that as when we sat down tonight to say, okay, which which ones are we going to do? That was the one. So Mike gets a copy of Text Expander from SmileOnMyMac.com, <clears throat> and I'm going to grab some water here while John entertains you with song, and then I'm going to read this. Mm. You know, I should have taken Scott Barman's advice <laughs> and played Girl from Ipanema there. But I didn't. <clears throat> if I'd had it queued up, I was trying up, to do like Scott. a Monty Python type intermission. Right. I thought I did. Mike writes, I love the show and I've never missed an episode since I've switched. I've been a PC user for over 20 years. I worked for a major computer manufacturer for 18 and ran my own small business computer consulting for a couple years after that. I've owned PCs since their conception and even a few microprocessors before that. And an example being the Motorola D5 I used to control a follow-behind electric golf cart. I've owned every IBM PC from the first up to laptops. I started buying Dells after starting my consulting business. I've been through all the operating systems from PC-DOS, MS-DOS, every version of Windows, and Linux. I used, to I used and supported all the Windows versions as part of my consulting business and was considered an expert. My son was, de was deployed to Iraq and came home on leave and decided to buy a PowerBook G4. I went with him to the Apple Store in Albany, New York, and advised him on all the extras he should get. He said he would only get all that stuff if I promised to help set everything up. When, I, when we got home, I was pre prepared to spend a few hours setting up the PowerBook, as was usually the case with all the PCs I'd had. I was shocked and stunned to find out that there wasn't much of anything for me to do. Everything just worked. That was my first step in the Mac conversion. My son took the PowerBook back to Iraq with him for the rest of that tour and took it with him on a second tour. It's been dropped, kicked, and pulled off tables tripping over the power cord and never <laughs> failed, ever. He has since been stationed in Germany and came home for last Christmas and presented me with a PowerBook as a present. I've used nothing else since. It is not what it once was cosmetically, dented case, scratches, etc., but it has not failed me yet either, and I wouldn't give it up for the latest and greatest available PC on the market. I'll be purchasing a 17-inch MacBook Pro Core 2 Duo in the near future, but I've been holding off until the rumor mills have it. It supports Blu-ray. I thought this little story might be interesting for your 100th show. Again, I love the show. Mike, thank you very much. I, it's just a great little story. So uh, there's a copy of Text Expander. Uh, I'm going to ask the, the, the folks to email me here. I know I've got your email addresses, but uh, if you hear it in the show, email me, and I'll put you in touch with the right people and get you the, uh, get you the licenses. So before we head to our outro, and uh, i got to get everything queued up because you know how I am here. This has been a little disorganized. Mm -hmm. We've been at this for a while tonight. Uh, there was one cool thing we mentioned, Diversadial, right? That piece of software, John, that uh, ran on the Apple II, oh, 2E. And, and you plug in all the modems, and uh, you plug in, I think, I guess six modems, right? Or you could do seven if you ran it headless, right? If you didn't have a, mm -hmm. a, a video card in it. Um, there is a Diversadial live. <laughs> available via Telnet, but the cool thing is, it's actually running on an Apple II with with all these modems in it. There are mm. 
seven modems that you Telnet into that automatically then dial. But they're real modems. In fact, if you hang up uh, from the bulletin board and issue AT commands to, uh, uh, to them, well, there's a way of figuring out that, yes, in fact, they're courier HSTs that are dialing into uh, these, these old mm -hmm. Apple cats. And it's all available at diversadial.com. D-I-V-I-E-R. Uh, just go to the show notes. Diversadial.com. And you can uh, telnet into uh, wherever it is at port 6001 and actually chat with other people. So John and I will uh, will do that at some point. And I think that's enough. We do have two outros because we have two prizes yes. to give away. Nobody did the intro, and it's because I, I didn't explain it right. If anyone ever mm -hmm. wants to do the intro for a show, mm -hmm. just the like tonight, the, you know, the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap number 100, whatever it is. Uh, if you ever want to do one, send one in. If it uh, if it fits the the vibe, mm. we're we're you know we're happy to consider that. So and and I gotta say just go for me. Yeah, a heartfelt thank you. I mean, this is amazing. A hundred, if it wasn't for people calling in, writing in, and all that. Um, yeah, I don't know if we'd still be doing this. I don't know if I would. No, I, we wouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely, we wouldn't be. I mean. So We'd it's awesome. Still... I mean, it's like a, a little family here. I mean, the Frapper map amazes me and just all the emails and, and all that. And I don't always respond, but I read and listen to as much as I can. Yeah. So, it, uh, no, it's great. I mean, John and I would still do this. I mean, we've been doing, I, I don't know that we do the podcast, but we, you know, we'd still get together. But, but it's you <laughs> folks that make the podcast possible, enjoyable. I look forward to this. I look forward to working on Monday nights. So there you go. Uh, mm -hmm. That's. And all the histories, again, just really, oh, it, yeah. it was so cool to just, awesome. you know, see everybody's background, how they got into the... We, we may read some of them. How did they find us? We may read some of them on the air at, uh, yeah. at some point in the They're future. They're good stories. Yeah, they are. Yeah, there's there's some great stories in there. All right. Uh, is the Portable Media Expo, September 28th to September 30th of this year. I think John and I will probably be there again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next week, we'll, we've got a... Uh, actually, no, next week we're not here. I'm in Florida. So two weeks from tonight, uh, Monday the... You get a week off? You do. Sweet. Yeah, I think Monday the 30th, right, for your birthday. Happy birthday to John from everybody. <gasps> I get my birthday off? I think so. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, anyway... Uh, yeah, so, and then we'll be back in two weeks with answers to your questions. Cashfly Hostings, where you've downloaded this from. Podcast Marketplace has the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. Yo, Jimbo from Barebones Software. BB Edit, also from Barebones Software. One free download from Audible, but you got to click the special link and PDF pen and text expander from Smile on my Mac. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess that's, uh, that's it. Thank you. Again, like John said it great. We're going to let... We're going to let them say it for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a little something extra at the end here. As promised. And these were fun to go through, too. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you, Dave. Hey, girls. What does Daddy always tell you? Don't get caught. Very good. made up. And thanks to Michael Johnston too.